funny that the treasury is running into a funding problem right now. They're running out of <laughs> revenue. There's a debt ceiling uh, increase that they're deb- trying to get passed. So you've got, here's what's going on. She's a head of an organization that's running out of money and she sees an industry that's flush with it relatively. And she just, and, and, and not just her, but you know, the entire federal bureaucracy, they, they have things they want to do with your money. That's really what this comes down to. And it's, 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 this is the core of politics at, at, at its core. This is what politics is. It's a struggle over the control of resources. And I, and I, I feel like that's what this is. So yeah, definitely the empire strikes back. It's a fitting, fitting title. Welcome to specific knowledge. I'm your host, Devin Marty. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring how people coordinate and build in a dynamic world where knowledge is distributed and ephemeral. With a focus on creative destruction and the role of blockchain as a decentralizing technology, we discuss new ways to reimagine and reshape the current social order. I'm joined by my friends Lucas and Ryan, who are experts in their field. Today's topic is on the U.S. Infrastructure Bill and how it affects blockchain and cryptocurrency. We're calling this episode, The Empire Strikes Back. All right, guys, welcome. Episode six, we're calling it The Empire Strikes Back, talking about the recent infrastructure bill and how it relates to the crypto industry, we'll say for now. Um, Ryan, Lucas, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing good. How about you? Doing really well. Lucas? Doing well, brother. It's always a pleasure to hang and chat with you guys about what's developing in the crypto world. Well, a lot is developing uh, and and developed recently. Uh, We're recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, August 10th. And uh, the the vote for the, well, notorious or grand infrastructure bill, however you want to view it, is uh, is in, and I believe it's going to the House. Um, but in that, um, for those who did not know or, or are not really uh, involved in the crypto or, or blockchain spaces, uh, specifically on social media, there was a portion of that, an, an, an amendment, or a few, we'll, we'll get into it, uh, that had to do with the crypto industry and how it is taxed, which can can stifle innovation for early uh, early industries. But you know, we'll get into more details on the specifics uh, here soon. I think the 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 takeaway from this podcast episode, if if you're to take away anything, is that there are a lot of positives that come out of this. A lot of uh, a lot of negative attitudes and and uh, emotions on Twitter uh, regarding this, but there's some, there's some pretty cool uh, diamonds in the rough, if, if you want to call them that. So I think if, if you guys want to take it away and, and start getting into the nitty gritty of this, uh, well, let, let's, let's first of all, you know, let's define uh, what were the amendments? Okay. Yeah. Let's start with the amendments. So they turned on the, the definition of a broker. There was a number of amendments, uh, I think two or at least two or three that were tried at different times. And the idea was to limit what that definition included, because as it's written in the original bill, it was very vague and it seemed to cover everybody from wallet makers to nodes and validators and miners on proof of work chains, pretty much uh, in a very expansive definition, even include p- protocol developers, uh, you know, hardware, software developers. So it was a, a very expansive read and a more narrow read would be an entity that is in charge of uh, brokering exchanges from one asset to another, right? Whereas this, this expansive read, it seemed to include wallet makers and, and, you know, validators and all kinds of 
just a very, uh, very wide range of uh, people would be included under this metric and would have to then report all of this financial information about their users. So they would need to know their their names and their social security numbers and even report, you know, the, whatever subsequent transactions were used on their on their devices or on their networks or their protocols. So it was it was going to be, you know, a very stifling uh, regulation. And so there was amendments that were proposed in order to, to kind of redefine what a broker was and, and to exclude the, the before-mentioned groups and, and to have these applied, have these new regulations apply only to actual brokers. And these amendments, um, I don't want to go too far. I don't know if I'm still Luke's thunder, but these amendments failed and the original bill passed the Senate and it was all held up based on a, uh, a one man a one senator from Alabama, Richard, Richard Shelby, who is not running for re-election, curiously enough. Uh, he held it up because he, he sought a $50 billion military uh, expenditure provision that, that uh, I believe Bernie Sanders rejected. So these, we have in a, a case of these two individuals, essentially, who are ruining the, uh, no, I wouldn't go so far as to say ruining, but they're affecting an entire industry in a way, and, and, they're, and they're holding up at a, a change which would potentially protect innovation. And so there's, this is a bit of a, a meat cleaver approach to when a scalpel would be necessary or more want, warranted. And, and because of the fact that we have Bernie Sanders on the left and Richard Shelby on the right, we don't get the, the scalpel, we, we get the meat cleaver. And, and it's interesting, you, you bring up, um, obviously, Republican, Democrat, there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of bipartisanship in this. I believe even one of the um, the amendments was uh, was Wyden Loomis Toomey, and Loomis and Toomey Toomey is a Democrat, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for Pennsylvania, and Loomis is um, a Republican uh, for Wyoming, which is a very crypto friendly state. So there was uh, a, a great deal of bipartisanship on this. Uh, I know Ted Cruz went to mm-hmm. you know, went to bat for crypto and. So, so very interesting that the issue at hand is not necessarily a political one. And I don't think crypto itself, I mean, if you get into what it really is, it's kind of like an anarcho-libertarian ethos of, and we've talked about this in, on past episodes when we talk about regulation, but there is not a clearly defined right or left side to crypto. So it, it's funny that the issue, the, the impetus that caused this bill or this uh, bill getting passed with no amendments had no relation to cryptocurrency or blockchain. To add on to that irony, libertarians and free market types have all have long made the argument that that the problem, well, one of the big problems with central banking, is that it enables war, an expansive warfare state, right? And um, so there's this historical link between central banking, printing money, going off the gold standard and funding the great wars and how all these resources were used in those wars and, and how awful that was. And so there's this, there's this inextricable link that libertarians all often talk about between money and war. And how, and how ironic is it that war, again, is the thing that's holding up the freedom of money? And, and, and so, it's, so it's showing that the link, it remains in a, just in a new way. That's that's great analysis right there. I would not have thought of that, and um, and I'm sure Lucas. You, I mean, you talk about this a lot. Uh, you were Marine Infantry, correct? Yes. Um, and I mean, I, I know you're not going to put assert blame to anyone, but I'm sure if the U.S. dollar, if if we all use Bitcoin instead, 
would we have been, you know, in some of these wars? Like if, if the government needed to tax people for their Bitcoin, eh, well, you know, I really don't hate them that much to, to give up my Bitcoin to go to war with them. Like, do you think that's a, a critique of fiat money? Well, I think it's just a, just an understanding of how fiat money works, you know? So yeah, call it a critique or just, uh, just call it an, an awareness of the economics of money. That's just that's just a reality of the economics of money. And, and I and I love what what Ryan explained um, when he talks about the great wars being funded when you detached the dollar from a commodity backed uh, coup paper coupon that was limited by the assets um, or else people would have it run on the banks like the movie Life is Beautiful where hey everyone runs to the bank and my gold's not there my silver's not there so. Uh, so that's how historically you'd hear about bankers being tarred and feathered or people would get punished if, if, if other people's money was stolen and they couldn't uh, provide the assets that were promised to, to, to store. When men and women working in positions of government were able to mandate what people would have to accept for exchanges. That's why when you look at a dollar, it says this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private they were now liberated from having to make sure that there were certain assets backing those paper coupons because no matter what people had to accept it that's that's the basis of how legal tender works that's also why if you follow the history of money in, in the united states which i think is the great experiment in detaching from actually the united states is the great experiment in detaching from a commodity backed money into a, a fiat money because it was able to be propped up as a world reserve currency post wars that were other nations were forced to use it in order to purchase um, oil on on the globe on the world market so what right i mean it's, it's just a matter of fact you're not going to have the resources allocated the quote money to purchase the labor to purchase the steel to build the ships to build the 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 nuclear subs it, it would not physically be there the resources would not be there um if you weren't able to just make up the money and then tax people for it later and say hey you're on the hook for this debt so that's that's how a lot of the modern economy, I mean, this would be a whole new major project, but to really unravel how much of the modern economy, the capital markets, literal, like the bridges, the, the trucks, the, the highways, how much of what people revere as being a natural evolution of market expression is actually uh, a, a result of a heavily manipulated and, and market that's been steered to, to build and to put labor in certain industries that otherwise would not have the voluntary support or, or the finances or, or being one of them. Now, I, I definitely agree um, with that. And yeah, when I was in Iraq, I saw money blowing on the, on the ground before I had any idea of, the, of what the concept of money and these things, but I saw money that was worthless blowing across the desert floor and people, children were running up to us to, uh, to just trade it to us by the handful for a bottle of water or for a pack of cigarettes, just because it was stupid for the troops to take back home to say, Hey, look, I got a picture of Saddam's face on a piece of money, but can you imagine living in a place where you had balance, you had books to balance, you owed money for, oh, my cousin borrowed something. There were roads, there were buildings, electricity. I mean, it was a modern economy in all sense of the term. And then all of a sudden the trucking industry, everything stops because the, the money that people were forced to use because it was a legal tender has now politically, because of a, a war situation, been made worthless. 
fast forward to Ryan and I studying uh, economics and, and learning about uh, value and, and money. And I, and I recognize, well, Although it seems like it's, you know the U the strength of the U.S. dollar in many ways is a paper tiger because a lot of it really hinges upon international agreements and G20, G20 summits and people agreeing to accept uh, the its value and to use it on for purchases on on the world stage. But it can easily be changed where another currency or new currencies are moved to and accepted by nations and it's no longer supported. And, and, and just through that, you could see uh, a, a, a major depression to the American economy. Uh, I, you know, but, but the point is I, the fragility of the US dollar a long time ago uh, got me interested in more sustainable systems, kind of moved me towards permaculture and in other ways that people, um, kind of sustain themselves and, and create a stronger foundation for, for local support. And, and then fast forward when Ryan, and I had the time to start getting into blockchain technology circa 2017 and put it all together. It was just beautiful. I mean, I, I'm very grateful. I really love the time we could talk about this, Devin, because, you know, I think a lot, many people don't recognize how special of an opportunity this is for humanity. I mean, for people, for uh, not just to think we're studying money and, and legal tender and well, there's nothing you can do about it. Cause that's how it is. And then, and then we happen to be alive at a time when this technology is emerging, that wasn't a political decree. It was actually in some ways, the spontaneous order that we have been talking about through the evolution of, or how, how knowledge, you know, um, permeates it and ripples throughout society and, and it's different forms, specific knowledge, tacit knowledge, and, and, and seeing how, how Bitcoin cryptocurrency is this evolution from um, this bottom up approach of people learning uh, how to play this new fire, people learning this new way of communicating. And for a lot of us that have been here, it's a new, we're learning a new language, validators, nodes. Did anybody know what a validator node was 10 years ago? No, right? Or, or 15 years ago. So when we're talking about validators and nodes and stakers, as you, as you and I, we can sit here and talk about the difference between staking on Wise Token, a DeFi platform with no intermediaries, a truly uh, like a, a trustless banking system on smart contracts and staking on Ethereum 2.0, where unless you have 32 ETH, it can get slashed, you can lose a portion and it's there to secure the network. Well, these nuances are emerging. They're brand new nuances that didn't even exist a few years ago. Uh, that, that's why I think when we talk about this bill, it's so important to, to, to really, the, the positives are the, the fact that this is something that still is taking time to take effect. But I, I would definitely like to continue pushing um, um, th this time to educate more people and to why I think we should push for more time. I don't think that one and a half years is enough. I mean, I'm glad that they're waiting till 2023 to, uh, to enact. Ooh, don't bury the lead. Don't bury the lead, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're exactly right. Yeah. We can get into that right now. I, yeah. I didn't mean to, to jump the gun, but I, it, it, to me, it's, uh, it, it really comes down to, um, what, what, how much, do people really understand of this new technology mm -hmm. already to be able 
to say, okay, well, we not, not only do we understand it, but we understand it so well, we know what we need to do in order to regulate it or to steer it in the right direction. Uh, and, and I'm thinking to myself, here we are talking on this podcast with, and we all sitting here know that we don't know nearly as much about blockchain or crypto as many other people in the space. Like we're, we're, uh, on the iceberg, I don't know, somewhere maybe in the middle, you know, above or below the middle line. And, and there are people that were, you know, are pioneers way ahead and can explain, just sit down and teach us much more. Knowing that I also can listen to politicians and people in traditional markets and say, okay, you clearly uh, don't know much about how blockchain works and the benefits of decentralized security and open ledger technology. And, and so that that's why I, I'm, you know, this is just great to be able to be here and to take the next however much time we have to get the news out there to constituents, I guess, is the term for, for those who, who reach out to the legislators and the senators and to say, this is about human rights. This is about the freedom of speech. And it's really unethical to close the conversation and to start controlling the conversation uh, from the political sector when this is something that is barely understood and it's not a national conversation. It's not a language that was started in, in the United States or in New York or in Washington or in France, or it's a worldwide language. It's a cryptographic language based on math, based on something that all people can come together on transparency and understand. So, and, and so for that reason also, to think that people can make laws in a country to protect and regulate something uh, that's so much bigger than the, than that, I think is, uh, I can't, I'm a lot, I, I forgot the word, the term that I'm looking for, but it's futile. I know it's a dance in futility. It's <laughs> yeah. presumptuous. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Very presumptuous. Yeah. That's the yeah. Well, to con to continue the uh, the Star Wars analogy we started, I, I think everything you just said that, you know, that's the new hope, right? That's, um, you know, we're finally coming to this point, this epoch in human history that we're without borders. We are an intra intraplanetary people who are, um, I might give a loan today over a crypto protocol or a smart contract that is to someone from a country I, my country is at odds with, you know what I mean? It's, it doesn't matter anymore. So that is certainly... That's the new hope. And now if we're staying in line with the theme of this, uh, what we've already established is the, the topic and the title of this podcast, which is The Empire Strikes Back. The, the, yeah, the regulation. And we've had two episodes now in a row talking about recent regulations. I feel like this has kind of been building and maybe we manifested it, in, in which case we're sorry, but we're now at a point where, yes, the regulation is coming in. But, you know, even in The Empire Strikes Back, you know, you get some, you get some sweet stuff. The Battle of Hoth is great. So what, what, are, the, what are the pros uh, that come out of this? Well, there are pros. So let's start with a, a big one is that this brings, this brings uh, certainty to, to a space that, that has been maturing, but there's still been very much a wild west sort of regulatory unknown, you know, clouding cloud over this whole space and institutions uh, have no problem reporting, you know, f their positions and their, their net losses and their net gains. That's not, that's not a problem for people who are in traditional finance. So for, for that standard to come to crypto, I think the good there is that it, it opens the door to even more institutional investment 
on the on the part of people who might have been waiting for this this kind of certainty whether or not whether we're talking about how to classify uh, an, an investment as a security or a commodity or if we're talking about what the uh, tax regime might look like and going forward this kind of answers a lot of those questions and i think so the the the, the benefit is you're going to see more traditional money flowing into the space at, now that it's it's maturing as it were yeah I, I would agree with that i would also say especially uh, with that open statement that the changes would affect digital assets acquired on or after January 1st of 2023. This gives an 18 month, a window, a year and a half window for institutions and for people to really load up um, while this infrastructure bill is taking shape and taking place. This is really the case for uh, a major bull run in between until this takes place. Um, well, and, why and is also, that? Why is it a case for the bull run? Well, it's uh, if if you have a green light that you can that you can acquire digital assets, and that so long as you're doing it before a deadline, that what you acquire won't be taxed or won't be put under this umbrella, this this new, well, under the new tax the the new tax bill. The moment, and it the also you- leaves the developers and the and the nodes and the validators. It gives them time to continue doing their activities without this this giant reporting requirement coming down and potentially making their entire activity impossible right or, or nearly impossible without without going through these these hoops and these hoops. Yeah. so we're hoping we're hoping that there's this this year and a half not only gives a window for for activity to continue investment to continue but we're also hoping that it gives us time to organize and to get new legislation passed and amend yeah. this horrible uh, oversight, right? So there yeah. is a, there's multiple things going on with this window. Yeah, exactly. And, and look how quickly I don't, uh, again, we alluded to it, but if, if you were on Twitter, or if you were on, I'm sure Reddit or uh, any other uh, of these, let's say tech friendly, crypto friendly uh, social medias, people went to the walls for, for this. It was every tweet I saw for like a day was about this crypto regulation and about these these amendments being produced that will will help the industry or hurt the industry. We came out in force. And so, yeah, if we have a year and a half to, to fix that, to lobby, there, there's some, think about it. We are people, uh, and I, I'm grouping us all in because I think, I think we can <laughs> be grouped in. We are all people in this community that are honestly have the most financial mobility in all of human history. The fact that I could get up and go to another country tomorrow and have all of my financial assets on a little thumb drive, right? That's that's crazy. No, no other time in history has that been possible. And these are all people who have probably done financially okay, at least. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who don't, um, who use DeFi because, you know, banking is too expensive or stocks are too expensive. And so maybe this isn't the case for everyone, but for 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 some people, they've done pretty well financially and they have time to sit around on the computer and time to make calls and time to go to DC and protest. I think they're messing with the wrong people. And, and I know they didn't intend to, not all of them intended to, but it's the result. And I, I think they're going to, yeah, over this next year and a half, they're going to hear it. Well, they say money is speech in politics. Well, they're p- picking on, to your point, they're picking <laughs> on a group with, with relatively deep pockets. Yeah. Right. Which is why they're at looking at them in the first place. But it's it shows you that it makes me think of uh, make it makes me think of an issue in macroeconomics. I, I don't want to go too far afield here, 
but it based this, this concept in macroeconomics is their Lucas critique. And I think we might've talked about it once. And it's this idea that planners uh, can't just put a, a, a regulation or a, a policy together and just think it's going to work. They have to anticipate how people are going to react to it and how are they going to update their, their react, how are they going to update their decision-making and what are they going to do to respond in response and how that might change the outcome of what they, what the planners were aiming for, right? Because they have a certain, they, their, their plan is based on a certain set of assumptions, but the, but the existence of their plan and the announcement of their plan and their plan going into effect, uh, it changes the underlying in, in environment and those assumptions no longer are true. They're no longer, those are old assumptions that held before the plan, but you have to incorporate the, the assumptions as they adjust, right? So this critique uh, basically, I think can be applied to this tax idea. They're 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 looking at pulling up twenty eight billion dollars in, in in revenue in the next ten years, and they're and they're putting this bill as, as a path to doing so, but they're not factoring in how people might react, right? And because it's not like everything just continues. People see this, they understand it, and they want to overcome it in one way or another. So I believe that this is another example of that potentially that paper tiger effect that Lucas was talking about, where you can, you can want to get something, but you, you might not be able to do so. Right. And they, they could, they have an end they have in mind that they're wanting to achieve, but we we're still seeing how people are going to react to this and it's up in the air, how much revenue they'll actually be able to acquire and what that's going to look like. I think it's also possible that uh, they don't care and the amount of money that the wealth generated in crypto, the amount of wealth that exists is not ever going to be enough to lobby politicians if they're currently in the pocket of a centralized banking industry that can print money. I mean, you're definitely able to garner uh, more financial support for achieving your ends there than you are in a decentralized worldwide network of people that may be accumulating small pockets of wealth here and there. So it'll it'll not be done through buying out politicians, most likely. I don't see that as ever being a solution. It'll be through forcing people to stand up on principles of ethics and making it transparent. You know, one thing that still remains, and it kind of blows my mind that there aren't more men and women, um, um, Americans, U.S. citizens up kind of, well, they're not aware of it, so that's probably why, but it would be up in arms, right? Because how many times did you hear during a presidential election um, the talk of blockchain cryptocurrency and the role it plays in liberating people or how it should be monitored to protect people or nothing, zero? How many senators and legislators come out and educate their local constituents or talk about it on television as to how it can be used, what the benefits are? Nobody, nothing. And all of a sudden you have this bipartisan, of course it's bipartisan because there's nothing political about being paid by the same pocket. And all of a sudden, all of these men and women are coming together to support the passing of a bill that none of them understand. Let's, let's, what's funny about this is that everyone will admit, well, there's no way that these senators and legislators, if you and I were to sit down with them and be like, yo, Toomey, yo, Loomis, yo, Yellen, talk to me. What's a validator? What's a node? What's proof of stake? What's taking a smart contract? What's an ERC 721 and ERC20? You know, talk to me about some of uh, uh, the DeFi uh, decentralized exchange, how these work. You know, do you understand the difference between these protocols? The answer is, I would, I mean, I, there might be a couple of passionate ones in there that have spent the time to research, and I'm not, but 
but the reality, most, most don't know anything. They're completely ignorant to this market that is brand new. In fact, I bet you could find them saying ignorant things about how it's used for nothing but nefarious purposes. Cause that's been the political, um, you know, hot topic for the, for the last decade. So if you've been in politics for 10 plus years, most likely you've talked about how stupid it is and how ignorant it is and how it's never going to be around. Most likely there's audio or video of you saying how it's nothing to look at now, all of a sudden, when the population that you're supposed to represent is still vastly ignorant, just as you, you find it expedient to pass a bill that monitors and regulates and taxes. I mean, the, what the funny thing is, it just makes you wonder who's writing these bills. Like, it's not the senators and the who who is behind the writing these bills and making sure these bills are being pushed out. Staffers and various at various right, but who's fun? I mean, the point is, is who's right. who's funding and pointing the staff It's not like the legislature. Okay, let me tell you what I want you to research. Uh, well, I'll give you a, a hint. I'll give you a hint. Well, uh, I think I, I don't need it. I mean, if it rhymes <laughs> with uh, U.S. Federal Reserve, central banks. Well, I was, that's kind of where I was going. Yeah, I was going to say Yellen <laughs> earned yeah. seven. Yellen, uh, the Treasury Secretary, earned seven million last year giving speeches to banks. Yeah, and so she, she only w- earned two hundred thousand from her job. She was privately lobbying as well uh, during this time to yeah. to preach the and uh, you know I'm this is flowery language but preach the evils of blockchain technology and how it's funding right. terrorism. It's funny that the treasury is running into a funding problem right now. They're running out of <laughs> revenue. There's a debt ceiling uh, increase that they're debate, trying to get passed. So you've got here's what's going on. She's a head of an organization that's running out of money, and she sees an industry that's flush with it relatively and she just and 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 not just her but you know the entire federal bureaucracy they they have things they want to do with your money that's really what this comes down to and it's 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 this is the core of politics at at, at its core this is what politics is it's a struggle over the control of resources and i and i i feel like that's what this is so yeah definitely the empire strikes back is a fitting fitting title well, I think that's the the perfect way to kind of wrap this up. Um, I th- I think we made our points. the The gist is, you know, this isn't all bad. This is regulation will bring in big institutional money. Who they're fine with paying the taxes. They're they're going to do it anyways to stay out of jail. And the other thing is, we have a year and a half till this is enacted. We have time to, like you guys said, come together, figure something out, and it's probably going to be uh, quite lucrative. Go ahead, Lucas, you have one more thing. Yeah, I was going to say one more thing that you guys will really appreciate. I wrote this down. This also means a year and a half. There are many projects in cryptocurrency right now that are quasi-centralized. Mm-hmm. They have governance models that they can help get it off the ground, but they have roadmaps with which they can detach and be completely decentralized so as there are no um, actors that could be held, held accountable or, uh, I guess, be under these legislative uh, umbrellas many of them are, are staying uh, decent moving to decentralize for that purpose so this gives mm-hmm. a year and a half for many of these projects to fulfill their promises of moving to that completely decentralized governance model that can't that no longer can report or can provide that information you'll actually have protocols that are functioning um, that don't meet the bill's requirements because uh, there's nobody there that you can talk to to get that info yeah, maybe. Subpoena hey, the, subpoena the machine, right? 
<laughs> yeah. And maybe, hey, we see uh, the return of the Jedi here soon, where we all move to decentralized autonomous organizations uh, and are a part of, a again, a That's virtual nation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the next one. Well, guys, right. thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Uh, always great chatting with you guys. You constantly blow my mind with what you know, and it's um, learn something every day. Thank you, Devin. It's always a pleasure. Peter, brother. Thank you, brother. All right. Talk soon.